Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. If there's one thing my parents taught me, it's that you've got to have grit. And there are going to be good days and there are going to be bad days. And the things that are good in life are generally worth pushing through the hard stuff. My name is Spree Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hey, this is Adam Marks. I'm a tech founder, writer, and consultant, and I've been listening to the Women in Tech podcast for about three and a half years now. Esprit does a phenomenal job spotlighting female entrepreneurs from all over the world, and one thing I love about the show is listening to their stories and how they've built their companies and organizations. We should always be pushing for representation and equality every time we go into the boardroom, every time we look for co-founders, every time we look to hire employees for our companies. So support representation and equality, support the Women in Tech podcast, follow me at AdamMarks13 on Twitter and on LinkedIn, and remember to always look for the orange sunglasses. If you too want to connect and collaborate with more incredible women in tech, remember you can go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. The best business resource I have is my mentor's private Facebook group. I've never found a community that cares more about one another's success. It inspired me to create the same thing for podcasters. If you're a tech company or startup looking to grow your podcast audience, I created Get Podcast Listeners. Com, a private group specifically to discover how other podcasters have grown their audiences so we could do the same. Check out getpodcastlisteners.com. That's getpodcastlisteners.com. So I have another little commentary on exercise and something totally doable. I've been jump roping. Super fun. Reminds me of when I was a kid. I actually have the cross ropes, which are weighted jump ropes, but you could do it with any jump rope. And I've been saying this thing like 30-day, I think it's 60,000 jump challenge. I have to look again. Anyway, you could Google it. Just break it down into like 50 jumps. And maybe this six. Oh my gosh, now I have to look it up. Um, you break it down into like 50 jumps at a time or 100 jumps at a time, and then you just do it in parts so every day you're tallying up like how many you want to get to. So by the end of the 30 days, you get there. And it's super dope. There's a YouTube channel called Jump Rope Dudes. Like they're all about jump roping. It's actually a pretty motivating channel. So I definitely suggest if you have a jump rope laying around the house to grab it and just like get some jumps in to get your body moving. Like we want to make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. Like it's important to nourish ourselves day to day. All right, let me know, shoot me a, a DM or tweet or Instagram or whatever, messenger bird, however you want to message me. Let me know if you've been jumping rope, what jump rope you use, and like if you dig it, how long you've been doing it, if you've seen results. Like, I'm loving it. My cross ropes are great. I absolutely love it. All right. Bye. Enjoy the episode.
bring to you our next guest. We have Heather in New York. Hello, Heather. Hello, Esprit. So stoked you were on with us. Why don't we just kick things off right away? Go ahead, share with us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Great. Well, my name is Heather Rivera, and I run our global product partnerships team here at YouTube. And I'm really excited to be here today. So thanks for having me. Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait to share your story. Let's go straight back to the beginning. When did you first realize that you had an affection for technology? It wasn't actually until much later in life. And so it was roundabout business school that I figured that out. I started my career as an investment banker and thought that finance was going to be my path until I realized that I had been in the privileged position of getting promoted to the next level of associate as a young up-and-comer. And I walked into my managing director's office, and I remember standing there looking him in the eye and very uh, graciously accepting you know, the, the fact that I had been promoted and said, thank you very much but I'm actually going to be leaving. <laughs> and uh, it was really then that I had kind of stepped off the path of finance and realized that I wanted to go do something different. And that took me through a variety of different twists and turns until I got to business school. And that's really when I discovered technology for the first time. Let's bounce back to your career in finance. When did it happen that you're like, you know, I don't think this is an alignment for me. And was that really hard to pivot because you had already invested so much of yourself at that point? One of the things that has really driven me from the very beginning, even since I was a really little girl, was it's just a never-ending quest for learning. And so I think I spent my first year at JP Morgan being really excited and thinking, wow, I'm meeting all these new people. There's so much to learn. I'm learning these different models and how to you know, implement them and how to advise clients. And then I sort of realized that actually the models didn't change that much company to company or client to client. And as I started to realize, I'm really getting to the point where I can do these things in my sleep. And then I was at the same time in client meetings, listening to these incredibly powerful CEOs at the water cooler talk about their art collections or you know the interesting books that they had read. I just kind of felt like there was a piece of me that was really lacking from an educational standpoint. And I felt like even though I had gone to a liberal arts college, so much of my time had been focused on really acing the finance side of things. I needed to do more. And it did feel weird to think, you know, I'm, I'm right at the cusp of making it to the next level. And I could see a long career there in, in some ways. But knowing that in my heart of hearts, that wasn't what was going to motivate me. That wasn't what was going to get me out of bed every day. When you went to business school, where did the world of technology open up to you? Was it a speaker? Was it something you learned in, in one of your studies? So business school for me, I th I may have been one of the textbook studies of why you should go to business school, which is when you don't have a clue really what you need to do next. Business school is a great place to go because you're introduced to a range of people from all over the world who've had lots of different backgrounds. All of these interesting companies come on campus. And so I took business school as really an opportunity to interview with any company that came. One day I had, and my friends would joke because one day I had an interview with like a makeup company. The next day that I was interviewing with like a quantitative hedge fund. And it was literally just back and forth and all over the map. I finally got to the point where I was thinking about my, my summer for the summer internship. And I decided to take a consulting internship 
because I was nervous because everybody kept telling me, oh, you'd be such a good consultant. But I really didn't think I wanted to be a consultant, but I knew that they were the companies that came early, like investment banking. And I didn't want to end up in the situation where I got back from my summer internship and maybe I had chosen the wrong company to work for during my summer. And then I felt like, oh, well, then my full-time job was definitely going to end up being consulting. So I almost did consulting to kind of prove it to myself that I didn't want to do it. But because <laughs> I went into it with that mindset, I actually negotiated with the people who were giving me the offer. And I said, well, how about I do, instead of your full like 12-week program or whatever it was, how about I do a shorter program so that I can have the opportunity to go work for a startup for the second part of the summer and see if I like that. And so that's really, it was at that startup that I really got introduced to technology. So two things, what attracted you to that startup? Like why were you moved to work for that startup and the consulting gig at the same time? Was there something about the culture or the product of the startup that you're like, I need to have that life experience? I didn't know much about the startup when I went to work for it. And I think what I was looking for was a counterpoint to the kind of big corporate experience that I had already known through the investment banking side. And I knew that that's what the consulting side was going to feel like. I wanted to know what does it feel like to work for a small company that's you know out there building a product. And I knew it was about a space I knew nothing about. It was about wireless mesh networking. I didn't even know what that string of words meant when I went in to work for that startup. What I hear that I think is really cool and I'd love to dive into a bit deeper is you come from a place of curiosity, like curiosity and education, right? And so like even when you were working in finance and earlier in your life, it was always about being curious and then getting educated. And it seems like that was the approach you had in exploring new opportunities in business school. You were just very curious and, and you were almost not like too committed the, to the destination. You were more like really in the journey of curiosity. Does that sit well with you? Is that in alignment with what you were saying? hundred percent. And so can you tell us, I think that's really important to come from a place of curiosity in everything in life, in communicating with others rather than forming judgments or making assumptions, but being curious. Will you share with us a little bit more about that mind state of curiosity? Because I think it's a really powerful one. I think it's been with me since I was really little. I mean, my mom's a teacher and my dad is a football player turned lawyer. And so I think <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> part of it was, you know, getting really from the very early ages, just asking a lot of questions and having parents who are willing to entertain those questions and who are willing to ask you the next set of questions to make you think about you know, how you should be thinking about things on your own. I was actually just having a conversation with my mom this morning about how I think one of the most important things in early education is that kids aren't taught so much to memorize a set of facts, especially at a time when, you know, there's, there's so much information in the world that you have to make sense of on your own. You need to be able to taught how to think about things. And so I think it was, it comes from that drive to really think about things for myself that I just wanted to really explore and understand what was around me. When you took the opportunity at the startup, the things that you learned in that life experience, would you say you were able to apply those learnings to your role now at YouTube later and to future you? I do, because I think the role I took at the startup was essentially to be the right hand man or woman to the CEO and to help him with a go-to-market strategy for the technology that they had developed. And I think one of the key things that I did there was that really taught me about why I had a passion for technology is because I realized I needed to serve as a translator between 
the engineering side and what they were building and developing and the business side and why what they were building or developing mattered. And part of my upbringing has been a strong focus on language. I grew up in New Orleans and it's really a melting pot of different cultures and languages. And so French is a language I started studying at a very early age, like five. And so for me, languages, I've always been passionate about languages. And I felt like technology was like another language that I just was learning to speak. And for me, that was really interesting. Talk to us about the journey going from startup. What happened after you worked at that startup? Where did you evolve into after that position? So what happened after that startup is I went back for my second and final year of business school and had to think at that point what I wanted to do next. I had received an offer and declined it on the consulting side. So I felt like done, that chapter closed. Now I knew I wanted to focus on technology, but I wasn't totally sure I wanted to rule out the finance aspect of things. So I looked into venture capital and thought about, well, what if I were to invest in technology companies? And through that very long interview process, anybody who's been around venture capital knows that it's not a type of process that completes quickly. I was able to, in parallel, interview with other companies that were interesting. And so I remember one day Google sent its troop of people onto campus and I thought, wow, those people, they, they look really interesting. They seem really nice and really enthusiastic about what they're doing. You know, it's a big company because to me, compared to the size of companies that I thought I was looking at, it seemed big even back then. But I said, you know, I might as well just interview. And so I interviewed and got through the process and met so many great people through that. But I wasn't actually ready to accept the offer because I still had the venture capital coals in the fire. So I declined them. But I said, well, do you have any other positions? Because I feel like this one wasn't right for me, but I love the people that I spoke to. So what else? And I actually went through that process with Google three times as I continued the venture capital process and ended up with offers at both and didn't make up my mind until I finally got to basically the graduation timeframe. And what really nailed it for me was two things. Number one, the person at Google told me who was going to be my manager made a real commitment and said, I'm, you know, I'm going to invest in you and your career. And that's really important. And, you know, you should come work for me. And then number two was, I thought about, well, how can I actually be successful investing in technology companies if the only technology company I've ever worked at was a period of weeks over the summer you know, at a startup? So I felt like Google would be a great platform to go and understand technology. And then from there, I could go into venture capital. By the way, is that still your dream to go into venture capital after your position now? It's a great question. I'm not sure. The problem is anytime I've ever thought about leaving Google, such an amazing company with the opportunities that it affords you, that there's always been new things to learn and do. So I feel like Google just as it continues to innovate, I've been able to hop around to lots of different product areas and learn about essentially entirely different industries. It's almost hard to see where that road could end. What I love about what you said, like, I love it so much, is the person who ended up being, what was the name? Hiring manager? Is that how you, or? or hiring manager. Be, yeah, mm -hmm. hiring manager. I love that that person said that they wanted to invest into you and help you evolve. Like, I just, I'm really into the concept of collaboration, not competition. And I think there's enough abundance for everyone, but like not everyone got that memo. <laughs> and so that your hiring manager got that memo and understood that by championing someone else that just elevates everyone together. I just, I just had to take a moment because that was like one of my favorite pieces of your story. Walk us through your day-to-day -day at YouTube. One, why are you proud to be on the YouTube team? And then what does your day-to-day -day look like? 
I'm proud to be at YouTube because when I think about what's important to me from a value standpoint and thinking about kind of the connections and the global mindset and bringing people together and bridging, these are things that YouTube really seeks to do by giving everyone a voice and showing them the world. So given that I'm driven by learning, I'm, I also tend to be relatively mission driven. I know things about myself at this point that I'm not as much motivated by titles, by money, by some of the things that are maybe more concrete being able to keep that mission in the back of my head and feel like every day, maybe I'm not working on something that is going to be written up in the Wall Street Journal or in the New York Times or what, whatever article of choice tomorrow, but in some way contributes to that broader goal is really important. One of the products that I'm proudest of, of having hand in is, is YouTube TV um, in my time at YouTube. We've worked on lots of really fun products across the board at YouTube, but YouTube TV was particularly memorable. What we were really trying to do at, at YouTube TV was to figure out how we can enable people to watch what they want, when they want, and where they want it. And the idea of you know being disconnected from a particular location like your couch and being able to have access to great TV content anywhere was really exciting for me. From a product perspective, it's one of the products that when it hit the ground for launch, it was really ready for prime time. And figuring out how to build that product was the most fun part for me and my team. And so a lot of our work came early in the process when we were trying to figure out how do partnerships play a role in actually technically being able to capture over the air signals and transmit them into digital? And that was a whole new learning curve for me to get up and figuring out how to do that. Who are the partners that we want to work with and need to work with to make that happen was a fun challenge. And then watching that product go out the door and seeing it have the success that it's had to date has been incredibly rewarding. It's interesting. I have a personal friend who works at YouTube as well. And I, I find that in my interviews and then the people I've come across who all work at YouTube, it's a common theme I hear that the YouTube culture empowers their team. This is going to sound so cheesy. So I understand it sounds cheesy, but to make the world a better place. <laughs> like, like I hear, like I, I know my friend's personal like mission is literally to make the world a better place. And they said, because I work at YouTube, I'm able to have that opportunity in that way in a much more accelerated rate than I'd be, ever be able to do on my own. And then I hear that common thing every time I talk to someone on YouTube. It's like, I want to make the world a better place. I want to make the world a better place. I'm like, wow, <laughs> like that's it's really cool that they foster the culture of people that genuinely have so much sincerity because I think in working for large companies, you're exposed to so many different types of information some information not as empowering as other information. And I think that's hard, like emotionally to like just receive and handle. And it just seems like you all have this like commitment to the greater mission that it's like worth getting through the muck in order to enhance the gold and the light. Yeah. I mean, if there's one thing my parents taught me, it's that you've got to have grit. And there are going to be good days and there are going to be bad days. And the things that are good in life are generally worth pushing through the hard stuff. And so I think, you know, yeah, I don't feel like every day I get up and I'm doing, you know, something to save humanity. That That's not that's not what I do. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, I'm part of a business. I'm leading a business development team. And our goal is to, you know, strike innovative partnerships that help YouTube to build its products and services, get those products and services distributed on different devices, and then drive growth for them. 
And, you know, that can manifest in relatively mundane things like internal meetings. And so, you know, I don't want to give the impression that, you know, you walk into YouTube and every day's a party. It's not. It, there's, Even there's it's real not. Work. <laughs> there's real work. But at the end of the day, it's really rewarding work. And so whether I'm on a client call, you know, with a partner trying to work through a difficult situation, or I'm in an internal meeting, or I'm having a team meeting and talking with my team about resource prioritization or, or some of the heavier topics, it all feels like it's worth it at the end of the day. Stick around. We'll be right back after the break. We would not be able to support and celebrate women in tech around the world if it weren't for you. Thank you so much for being a listener and a fan of the show. To contribute and donate, simply go to womenintech.fm on the upper right-hand side and click Donate, which empowers us to continue celebrating women in tech around the world. Thank you for being a part of our journey. Let's talk a little bit about being mission-driven because I don't think we talk about that enough on the show. For everyone who's listening right now who isn't in touch with their mission or never even thought about it and doesn't even know how to start to cultivate a mission for themselves, can you kind of give context to like what being mission-driven means to you and maybe some suggestions on how to cultivate that mission for someone who doesn't have one yet? For me, it means that whatever I'm doing feels like it's working towards some higher purpose that's much bigger than I am. And so that's kind of the meta example that I can provide. I think that when I think about developing one or, or latching onto one, which is probably more tangible for most people, is you don't have to come up with something that's all your own. You can attach yourself to a company that has stated something that you feel like it gives you purpose in life. I think a lot of the battle is really understanding early what motivates you. And I think if somebody, you know, had really helped me earlier in my career to figure out what motivates me, that would have been helpful because, you know, there are a lot of external measures of success that a lot of people point to and think that that's what should drive them. And money is such an easy thing to use because it's quantifiable. You can talk about it. You can benchmark it. But talking about some of these less tangible ideas and how that can actually lead to much longer term happiness. For me, I think I didn't really understand that about myself until I had been in an industry that's all about money and realized that, you know, that that's really for me, that's not what it is. What's one huge obstacle you've successfully overcome in your career and how did you overcome it? Maybe I'll take one that I think a lot of folks in corporations in general can relate to, which is that as corporations evolve, they need to reorganize themselves. And I think when that happens early in one's career, it can be a pretty scary event. You feel like you've been doing something, you were working towards something, and then it feels like your world gets a little turned upside down. At Google and also you know, at YouTube, we're a company that's constantly trying to innovate. And when you're doing that well, that means that you probably should be evolving the business structure that supports that relatively frequently. And so I almost feel like I had the privilege to have a major reorganization happen within my first few years at Google that really made me think about, well, how am I going to figure out what to do next? Because I've essentially, you know, the, the job that I was doing is not available any longer. It's just not something that we need. And for me, that was at first an obstacle, but then I really viewed it as an opportunity. And that allowed me to pivot into a different area of the business. And that's where I started to be able to realize that 
Google was a type of company where if I charted my own course, I could really develop myself in a number of different ways, whether it's functionally or industry specific. And, and that was something that I felt like was going to be really useful to me as I went for, you know, goals beyond, you know, as I think about things like maybe someday I want to be a CEO. How do you do that? You need to build a range of different skills and competencies. So latching on to that obstacle as really an opportunity is probably one of the things that I remember most from my early days at Google. The most powerful thing we have is our mindset. And we get, we either feel I can't or I can. And it's much more empowering to feel I can, even if I don't know how yet, I still can. And I'll learn the how as I go through my journey. But I believe that I can. I mean, that's the reason why the Women in Tech podcast exists, is to empower you to believe not not you, Heather, you have you are empowered, but for everybody listening to believe in themselves that anything that they want to create is possible. Anything you want to create is possible. Heather, what's one or two things you do for self-care? It's so key to unwind after a long day. I am an avid tennis player and workout fanatic. So I release stress through exercise. What kind of workouts do you like? Oh, everything. I do kickboxing. I do cycling. I do yoga. I do Pilates and bar classes. You name it, I'll do it. Same thing with sports. Do you have a particular time of day? Like, are you a morning workout, afternoon? Morning. Morning? Yeah. 100% morning. Yeah. At 5.30 a.m. or 8 a.m.? Somewhere in between, usually about 7 yeah, it's so good. It's funny. Somebody told me recently, because I think as like business leaders, we self-care gets put to the side sometimes in our culture because we think that we need to grind, 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 and there's no time for anything else. And then someone told me recently, if you don't love yourself, you don't even have the ability to love and lead others. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, like, like I, I gotta, I gotta up my self-care game and make sure that's prioritized. Yeah. You have to put on your own oxygen mask first. Yeah, exactly. I like to ask a couple selfish questions. One being, what is your favorite tech tool? It can be mobile app, hardware, software, website. So I'm a new mom and my favorite tech Congratulations. tool. Thank you. My favorite tech tool of the moment is the baby monitor. Uh, <laughs> no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> that has been a lifesaver for me. And it's been really fun, you know, figuring out how to be a new mom and work and do all of that in these weird COVID times. Any suggestions to everyone listening who is experiencing the same thing? Any like little life hacks that you can share that worked out for you? Shared calendars. That's my second favorite tech tool because that allows my husband to figure out what room does he need to be in to take his calls? What room do I need to be in? Oh, I didn't even think of that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah, you have to work out. That's an interesting thing that I don't have to deal with. You have to figure out what rooms you're going to take calls in in your house. Wow. I don't know what I mean. I just, you know, all the things. What book has left you feeling like, oh, this is a must read? It could be personal or business or both. Well, I actually, I wrote my master's thesis on a book that was essentially the correspondence over a long, long number of years between Gabriela Mistral and Victoria Ocampo. And it was their letters back and forth across the ocean sometimes, depending on where they were traveling at the moment, as they went through their lives as two 
powerful women struggling with the concept of Americanness. But it's Americanness from Southern Hemisphere perspective, with one being Chilean and the other one Argentinian, and trying to grapple with what does it mean to be American. And I felt like as someone from North America, especially in the U.S., we often feel that America is all about the United States. And I think that book helped to broaden my perspectives and really think about a more inclusive version of the world. Awesome. Okay, so Heather, two last questions. One, what advice would you give yourself either straight out of high school or straight out of college, like one of those turning points in your life? What advice would you give that person today, your younger self? I would probably say you don't have to be the expert in the room to be able to speak up and have valuable input into a conversation. Nice. Can you give us more context on that? I love that one. Can you give us more context about that? Because I think that's something that can go deep. Since I love to learn, I have realized that I I tend to go broad more than deep. And so I generally tend to feel like there's people in the room who probably know more about a specific subject than I do, because there are people in the world who prefer to go deep rather than broad. And sometimes in my, my career, as I've been in different meetings, I have maybe hesitated to speak up thinking, oh, well, that's probably a stupid point to make because someone else who knows way more about this topic would debunk it from the beginning. And I think that there's a lot of times when that's just not true. And maybe they do more know, know a lot more about that subject than you do, but it doesn't discount the fact that you may have important things to say. And so I think especially to, you know, people who are coming into their career, you know, coming right out of school, they're going to be people that you're working with who've been at that company for a whole lot more years than you have. But that doesn't mean that you don't have valuable contributions that you can make to that conversation. I love it. And I'm always curious to hear like the contrast or the evolution. What is the best piece of advice you've gotten? So as everyone leads really busy lives and has a lot on their plates, that it's not about the weight of the load you carry. It's the way you carry it. (gasps) Oh my gosh, so good. Because unfortunately, we're never going to get away from the weight. So you just have to figure out how you're going to deal with it and have some grace under pressure. One of the things that I've been learning like throughout my career is it's not about being perfect. It's about momentum. Mm, So true. I think sometimes like I won't send the email because the email is not perfect enough yet or I won't ship the thing. Ship is such a tech term. (laughs) But like, (laughs) but I won't, you know, I won't write the book or post the blog or build the thing, whatever it is, because it needs to be perfect. And when I realize it's not, it's more about momentum and accountability I've just seen this huge shift and I wish it just didn't take me so long to discover that, that secret, like, you know, work hack. I'm like, oh, okay. I completely agree. Done is better than perfect. And have you been on a podcast before? This is my first time. It always blows my mind. Okay. So it's about, I'd say, I I don't have exacts, but I'm going to say over 99% of the guests, this is their first podcast. I didn't expect that going into this in 2014, that I would have this platform. I genuinely just wanted to elevate people from a very, from actually my own history of being a founder and, and the isolating journey it was growing on my own. But now like years in, and I mean, hundreds of interviews and knowing that this is not just a platform to empower people to believe in themselves, but it's also a platform where I'm hoping like 
I'm elevating people so that like all of you will be poached by other podcasts and conferences and shows and like women will just be like dominating the stages <laughs> everywhere. And I'm like, here is your amazing list. Like, that's just so cool. And what I find that is highly valuable for everyone listening is I think people make assumptions like, oh, Heather's at YouTube and she's got everything covered and she's seasoned. And so she's obviously like already been everywhere. And I think it's just such a great moment to see that anything is possible and everybody has a first of everything. (laughs) So thank you for letting me be part of your journey into the world of podcasting. It's been such a pleasure like connecting with you. Is there anything else that you wanted to share before we wrap up? You know, for any of the listeners out there who have any doubts, just rest assured everybody has had their doubts. And so keep pushing forward because you absolutely can do it. And the way I think about career is that it happens in chapters and you've got a lot of chapters to write in your life. So if this one didn't work out for some reason, just move on to the next one. Where should people connect with you? Like, are you on LinkedIn or like what is your preferable way to connect with community? I'm on LinkedIn. Can you spell your name for everybody? Sure. It's Heather, H-E-A-T-H-E-R, Rivera, R-I-V-E-R-A. Heather, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. If you want to connect and collaborate with more extraordinary women in tech around the world, remember to go to the Women in Tech Facebook group at womenintechvip.com. Womenintechvip.com takes you straight there. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you guys, talk to you guys, hear you guys in the next episode. Bye. Bye, everybody. (laughs) This is Heather Rivera at Google on the YouTube team working on partnerships across all our products, including YouTube TV, based in New York. And you're listening to Women in Tech. Hi, this is Arlen Hamilton, author of It's About Damn Time, How to Turn Being Underestimated into Your Greatest Advantage. And you're listening to We Are LA Tech. I feel so grateful I've had the privilege of getting an advanced copy of Arlen Hamilton's new book, It's About Dan Time. She is one of the most inspiring venture capitalists I've ever come across. Her story from having absolutely nothing and being completely broke to being one of the most influential venture capitalists in the world blows my mind. And her book is insanely well-written. Right when I picked it up, I didn't want to put it down. She teaches me and us how to become the asset, how to be our best selves, and how to be a person that not only creates opportunity for ourselves, but creates an abundance of opportunity for others. I'm so proud to share her book with you, and I hope you'll pick it up. And I know for sure you'll be just as riveted as I was with each page you turned. Get It's About Damn Time at itsaboutdamntime.com. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. Community spotlight coordination by Sarah Tran. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.